0: Welcome to today's edition of Draft Utopia. My name is Chris Ransom, and within the next hour, we're going to discuss a lot of things that have happened in the world of sports. I'm going to break down three NFL season previews. Previews for the yeah, I've only typed seven season previews. I was going to do one for the Broncos, but they signed Mark Barron yesterday, and I then he wasn't listed on the depth chart. And with with 14 teams to break down. And I've got a week to break down these 14 teams. I'll have to start weeding teams out if I can't meet this deadline. And if the NHL second round ends, I'm probably going to do a five-round NHL mock draft. So that's more time I'm going to have to spend. But I will do a podcast today to start the week with so much going on in sports. I'm going to start in the NFL because the Broncos did pick up Mark Barron. It is a good signing. I'm also going to break down three teams today. The Brown, the Dolphins, the Browns, and the Falcons will be those three teams. And I did do a, a Brown season preview. If you want to hear more on the Browns, more on Joey's take with the Browns, go over to Talk Shoe right now and listen to that Saturday episode. I broke down the Senior Bowl candidates as well. Um, MLB trade deadline: Mike Clevenger got traded. There's some 3-1 series leads in the NHL. I will be breaking those down in depth. NBA, the Clippers advanced. Uh, There's a lot of big news in sports right now. And I'm probably just going to spend the first two minutes promoting ScoreStream. You want to keep up with scores for all the playoff games or the post-MLB trade deadline moves, go to ScoreStream.com. Download the app today. I'm going to break down three teams in depth after these messages. Welcome back to Draft Utopia. My name is Chris Ransom, and I'm going to break down three season previews with in depth write ups right now Dolphins, Browns, and Falcons. I'll start with Miami. Miami added Jordan Howard at running back, New England Patriots center David Andrews. I'm a fan of what Miami did offensively. On defense, Miami added Shaq Lawson, Elandon Roberts, and Kyle Van Noy. Cornerback Byron Jones, a good compliment to Xavier Howard. So the Dolphins had a pretty proactive free agency. They did get a flowers, too, from Washington as their left guard as well. Watch Dolphins draft recap. They drafted Tua, Austin Jackson, and Noah Ipignoy with their three first-round picks. Right now, Alberts' corner is the only one of those first-round picks projected to start week one, and he's expected to be nickel corner. Miami Dolphins quarterback summary. Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen are both downgrades. You added Tua. Um, so the quarterback competition between those three will be interesting. The running back summary, you've got Jordan Howard. you got Matt Breida from San Francisco. Kalen Ballage, Miles Gaskin, Eric Studsville. He's the running back's coach and the running game coordinator. So, honestly, I think that's something you got to look at. Devontae Parker's going to be the starting receiver. I think Fitzpatrick's earned the right to be the starter to begin the year. I've said that numerous times in this podcast. But you've got Parker... Chan Gailey specializes in developing with receivers. He was the receiver's coach he head coach at Georgia Tech when they had Calvin Johnson. So Josh Grizzard finally earned the wide receiver's coach job, but you're Gailey's gonna be the main guy on this offense. And Gailey needs to call the right plays. I'm curious to see what happens because it was Chad O'Shea who beat the Patriots in week 17 with Fitzpatrick. Now you bring in Chan Gailey is your offensive coordinator. Mike Gesicki had to fight for the starting tight end job as a rookie. He will be the starting tight end for Miami in 2020. Tight ends coach George Gott. He enters the second year with Gesicki entering his third season. You have Davenport and Jesse Davis, an offensive tackle. You drafted Austin Jackson in the first round. He has the highest upside of those guys. Arec Flowers is at left guard. Kilgore returns at center after missing all of 2019 with an injury. Michael Dieter enters year two as a starting right guard. You drafted two guards. Both project as backups right now, but I do think Solomon Kindley, if he can stay healthy, he could end up surpassing Erec Flowers as the starting left guard. I wasn't a fan of Robert Hunt personally. I think he's going to be a career backup in Miami. Steve Marshall takes over. He's a much-needed upgraded offensive line coach. The downside is he hasn't coached in the NFL as an offensive line coach since 2016-2017. Miami is a middle-of-the-pack offense. I expect them to be a bottom feeder in every other offensive category until they get some stability at quarterback or another receiver to complement Parker. Miami Dolphins, time to go to the defensive side of the ball. You have Wilkins at 34 right in. You have Godshow at nose tackle and Shaq Lawson at 34 left in. Marion Hobby, the former defensive line coach with the Jacksonville Jaguars, enters his second season as the defensive line coach with the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins linebacker summary. Miami already has injuries at pass rusher with both Vince Beagle and Curtis Weaver. Weaver got waived. Cleveland picked him up. Even if Kyle Van Noy plays it well at 34 left outside linebacker, he will have to do most of the work off the edge. You had Raquan McMillan. You traded him to the Raiders. And now you have even more holes. So you trade McMillan. But, I mean, you have a Landon Roberts and Jerome Baker. So I was wondering what was going to happen. Because you had Jerome Baker, Raquan McMillan, and a Landon Roberts. I was wondering who the odd man out would be. With McMillan being traded to uh, the Raiders, he's the odd man out. And this Dolphins season preview was done before the Raquan McMillan trade. So And Brian Flores is a great at developing linebackers Anthony Campanile and the defensive back summary you have Xavier Howard on the outside with Byron Jones Noah Igbinohe and the nickel you can move Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe to safety since both these cornerbacks are versatile enough to play safety Josh Boyer got promoted from cornerbacks coach with those corners outside of Noah Igbinohe and Byron Jones the defensive coordinator so Gerald Alexander is the new defensive backs coach this Dolphins Defense has potential to be a top 10 unit in total yards allowed, rushing yards allowed, passing yards allowed. Getting sacks and limiting the opposing offense will be the biggest challenge. And now you've lost McMillan. So you don't have that depth at linebacker you had. You still have two quality starters with Landon Roberts and Jerome Baker. But Baker and McMillan were both Ohio State guys, and they both end up on Miami, so you'd think the team chemistry would be up. But Landon Roberts provides that veteran leadership that Miami secretly craves. Miami needs a better kicker than Jason Sanders. Matt Hock is not an ideal punter. Kalen Balaz is the returning kick returner and punt returner. Danny Crossman, special teams coordinator with the Bills, is now the special teams coordinator with the Dolphins. So I'm not sure how Crossman's going to have an impact on this team. Worst case scenario, Miami goes three and thirteen. They're one of the bottom feeders. Best case scenario, they go seven and nine and still have a losing record despite showing promise. Week one, New England at New England Patriots. That's a loss. Week two, at Buffalo Bills. That's a loss. Week 3, at Jacksonville Jaguars, that's a loss. Week 4, versus the Seattle Seahawks, another loss. Dolphins fans, you're going to cringe. These first six weeks are going to be very cringeworthy for Dolphins fans. At San Francisco 49ers, another loss. At Denver, loss. So, I think you're looking at a team that could start 0-6. Yeah, I'm impressed with what Miami has long-term, but short-term, none of their draft picks are going to be immediate week one starters that concerns me there's other players that were core players on this team that Miami traded or lost injuries so I think that's another thing working against Miami early in the season so they start 0 and six but the Dolphins do get a four game winning streak they beat the Chargers in week seven they beat the Rams at home in week eight they beat the Cardinals they go to Arizona and they beat the Cardinals. They shot Kyler Murray, Tua Tagovailoa, or Fitzpatrick, or Josh Rosen. If Josh Rosen's starting Week 9, I think Rosen will... Cut we- I don't. I don't think it matters who starts for Miami that week against Arizona, because if it's Fitzpatrick, he will be the best quarterback on that roster. If it's Tua... Tua wants to prove to the world that he's better than Kyler Murray because he did beat Kyler Murray in the college football playoff. And Josh Rosen just wants to go into fuck you Arizona mode. Fuck you Steve Keim mode. He wants to go into fuck you Steve Keim mode and send a message to Arizona that they should not have traded for him. So it's a revenge game if Rosen starts. If Fitzpatrick starts, you might have the better decision maker. And if Tua versus Kyler Murray, a rematch of that college football playoff from a few years ago, and I'm taking... Tua over Kyler in that scenario. So Miami wins three in a row. Then they host the Jets and they win that game. So they're four and six heading into their bye week. Then they play the Jets in New York. They lose that game, but they beat the Bengals. They improve to five and seven. They lo- lose the Chiefs at home. They beat the Patriots at home, and they lose the Raiders in Vegas. And they lose to the Bills in Buffalo to end the year. So they go six and ten. This team starts 0-6. They win 4-0 heading into their bye week. If they can sweep the Jets, you could be looking at a 7-9 team or a team that's 6-6 heading into that final home stretch. You could be looking at a team that's 6-6 heading into the week 14, honestly. I think the Dolphins are a team that's going to be a very good medium game team. They're going to struggle early and they're going to struggle late, but I think the middle game is going to be the strongest part of their season because that's when they play their weakest opponents, and I think they're going to show a lot of promise of a future contender. Once they fill those holes and uh, to assert themselves as a starter, they could this team could go places. All right, so overall, I have the Dolphins at 6 and 10. I'm previewing two more teams, and one of these teams is going to be a worse record than Miami. I'm not going to reveal who yet. All right, so... up nope, next the Browns. They made Austin Hooper the highest-paid tight end in the NFL. Jack Conklin signed a deal with Cleveland to be their starting right tackle on defense. The big addition was getting strong safety Carl Joseph. You also got Case Keenum as a backup to Baker Mayfield. Cleveland got four starters in the 2018 draft, two starters in 2019. They drafted strong in 2020 in rounds one through six with um, Jedrick Wills Jr. You got Grant Delpit, who would have started next to Carl Joseph, it wasn't for a season-ending injury. You got Jacob Phillips in the third round. Missouri defensive tackle Jordan Elliott for depth. They spent two day three picks on guys I interviewed at the Senior Bowl with Harrison Bryant, who actually looks like he might beat out Najoku for that backup gig, and Nick Harris, the fifth-round pick. Then you get Donovan Peoples-Jones. And all these draft picks for the Browns in rounds one through six look like promising players that have lived up to their potential. Stefanski's going to be calling the plays. Alex Van Pelt will act as a quarterback's coach. Cleveland did not hire a quarterback's coach after Ken Zampezi left, so may not be an issue since Baker's made huge strides this offseason. You have incredible depth at running back with Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and you've got Stump Mitchell as your running back's coach slash running game coordinator, so you can run it at will. Re- Cleveland Browns wide receiver summary. You've got Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. you got Higgins in the slot. You've got Donovan Peoples-Joneses at number four. Showing he can have those reps with the once. Former Dolphins offensive coordinator Chad O'Shea is the receiver's coach and the passing game coordinator. And that was his role with the Patriots. He worked with Belichick, Austin Hooper, Najoku, Harrison Bryant. All three tight ends have their moments on tape. And Drew Petzing is the tight end's coach. You get Jedrick Wills Jr. at left tackle, Betonio at left guard, Treder at center when healthy, Wyatt Teller at right guard, and Conklin at right tackle when healthy. Treader is injured right now. Nick Harris is getting those first team reps and is dominating. Bill Callahan's the new offensive line coach. He was the interim head coach for Washington after Jay Gruden got fired. He was also the offensive line coach in Dallas when USC right tackle Tyron Smith made the transition to left tackle. Because Tyron Smith played right tackle in both high school and college, then he had to transfer his skill set to left tackle. Wills was a right tackle in high school, right tackle in college to was blind side, but Has to make that transition to left tackle. It may not be as challenging, but at the same time, he's playing on the other side. He's going to have to learn some different things at the next level. With Cleveland, I'm expecting a top 15 offense. As long as the offensive line protects Baker Mayfield, this offense has a chance to be a top 5 offense in points scored, passing yards, rushing yards. This offense will be as good as Baker Mayfield makes it. Defensive line summary. Miles Garrett will play 43 right in with Olivier Vernon complementing him at 43 left in. Sheldon Richardson and Larry Ogunjobi will start at the defensive tackle spot. Elliott, a former defensive tackle out of Missouri. Billings, who was injured, are the depth players. Adrian Claiborne and Chad Thomas provide depth at defensive end. Chris Kiffin takes over as a defensive line coach. When healthy, Cleveland has Mack Wilson, Sion, Taki Taki, and Jacob Phillips. With Mack Wilson currently injured, they're going to rely heavily on Phillips. He's the only one of these three that I could see contributing in a significant way. You picked up Malcolm Smith. Jason Tarver's the linebacker's coach, and he was a linebacker's coach in Vanderbilt where he helped um, Dimitri Moore break out. And you have Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, Kevin Johnson, MJ Stewart, two free agents that Cleveland picked up. Joseph and Delpit. Delpit's out for the year. Greedy's injured, too. Joe Woods, a defensive backs coach slash passing game coordinator with the 49ers, is now the Browns' defensive coordinator. You also have Jeff Howard, a passing game coordinator slash defensive backs coach, working under Joe Woods, which was Woods' previous position. I feel like Cleveland can have a top 10 pass rush, top 15 pass defense if everybody stays healthy. And that's a big if. With Delpit out, they're probably at bottom a top 20 pass defense if their corners play well they could end up at 16 in the top half of the league at pass defense if their corners ball out but realistically they're probably a top 20 pass defense they have a top 20 run defense it might be a top 25 run defense if mac wilson misses any significant time they have lots of depth at defensive tackle yet are extremely thin at linebacker Cleveland has Austin Seabird at kicker and Jamie Gillian at punter. They also use Tavir Thomas as a kick returner. Jarvis Landry is a punt returner. Mike Pryfer is back. Worst case scenario, the Browns go 5-11. Best case scenario, the Browns somehow end up winning this division. Look at their 2020 schedule. They begin the year in Baltimore. That's a loss. They beat the Bengals. They beat the Washington football team. They're 2-1. They lose to Dallas in week four. So they're 2-2. Two two. They get the Colts at home on October 11th. They win that game. They lose to Pittsburgh. They lose at Cincinnati. They beat the Raiders. So they're 4-4 four and four heading into their week 9 bye week. Because I feel like they can surprise people. They're, not a, they're a team that may end up as the 7th seed in the AFC. And they may not. You know, it's like the Texans, they get them at home. I think they can win that game. The Eagles, that's going to be a tough game. I have the Eagles winning that one in Cleveland simply because of all the injuries the Browns have endured. So they're 5-5 five five heading into those last few weeks. They beat the Jaguars in Jacksonville. They lose the Titans, so they're 6-6 six six heading into those final four games. They lose the Ravens at home in Week 14 on Monday Night Football. So they lose the Ravens. They're 6-7, and seven, but they win those final three games. They get the Giants and Jets on the road. And then they get the Steelers at home in Week 17. So I think the, if they can get by and win some of these games early, they have a shot to do something, maybe make a push for that 7 seed. I have them at 9-7, and seven, and they could be in the running to get that final wild card. I'm not going to officially say they're going to be in the running because it could go either way, to be honest. Because I originally had this team at like 5-11 or 7-9. But looking at their schedule, and looking at what they've done in training camp, it's a completely different team. And it's completely different in a good way. All right. Final team here, the Atlanta Falcons. They got Todd Gurley in free agency along with Laquan Treadwell. They added Dante Fowler. Tyler Davison was on the Saints. You get him as a defensive tackle. You drafted two immediate starters with A.J. Terrell out of Clemson in the first round and Sterling Hoffrichter, a punter out of Syracuse, in the seventh round. So you got a first and seventh round starter at receiver and punter. Matt Ryan, still the starting quarterback. Schaub is the backup. Ben Kurtz on the bubble. You brought in Rudolph Lauetta, and Slaughter to push Ben Kurtz for that third string gig. Dirk Carter <coughs> enters the second, second stint as offensive coordinator. This is his second season in his second stint. And Cotter excelled under Mike Smith. He did well with Dan Quinn. Greg Knapp is the quarterback's coach. Todd Gurley is now the feature back. Brian Hill, Quadri Oleson, Ido Smith are all competing. Hill is listed as the number two running back on our labs, but I think Oleson is more upside. Ido Smith was the backup last year. So that's why this is hard, because I think Oleson is the most upside of the three. But... Ida was the backup last year. at Brian Hill's list as a backup on our, lad. So it is a competition to see who's Gurley's backup. Bernie Parlami began as a special teams assistant. He took over as the running backs coach. Julio Jones is Atlanta's number one. Ridley's the number two receiver. He adjusted his role after Sanu got traded to New England. Treadwell and Russell Gage are competing for a slot receiver job. Dave Brock was the running backs coach in 2019, but he's moving to receivers coach. And Raheem Morris, who was the receiver's coach in 2019 slash assistant head coach slash passing game coordinator, he's now the defensive coordinator, so he'll be calling the plays while Dan Quinn just motivates these guys and develops the front seven. Atlanta sent a 2020 second round pick to Baltimore for Hayden Hurst, losing Austin Hooper to free agency. Ben Steele is the new tight ends coach, he takes over for Mike Mullarkey offensive line summary. You have Jake Matthews, Carpenter at left guard, Alex Mack at center, Lindstrom at right guard, McGarry at right tackle. Very good offensive line. An offensive line that can keep Atlanta in games. I think their offensive line, just their group in particular, can keep Atlanta. I think they have a better offensive line than Seattle, honestly. And Seattle's gonna have to work for that win. I think Seattle will beat Atlanta in Atlanta, but that's are going to be a shootout. That is a game that they are going to have to work for. They're going to have to earn that win. Chris Morgan, you drafted Matt Hennessy out of Temple, one of the 23 players I was lucky enough to interview in Mobile. You have enough talent to be a top 10, top 15 offense found a proofreading error, so I'm going to refresh the page here, then go to the defensive side of the ball. You have Takaris McKinley at the Leo. Alan Bailey is going to be complimenting him. Grady Jarrett and Tyler Davison from the Saints are going to be the defensive tackles. Dan Quinn specializes in developing defensive linemen. He's going to strategize and work with these guys without having to worry about calling the plays. Jess Simpson had a rough first year in the NFL after previously coaching Miami-Florida, and and while Miami's defensive line with Rosso and Roche took off without Simpson, Fowler and Deion Jones and Foyce Olakun are the linebackers. Jones is the main, Jones is really the only good starter. I mean, Fowler, you signed him, he's more of a defensive end, and Olakun's a guy that I think could be upgraded. But you have Jeff o- Rick returning as your linebacker's coach. He also got promoted to assistant head coach. Atlanta's got AJ Terrell. Replacing Trufant, Oliver's going to be the boundary. Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen are going to be the starters. Raheem Morris went as passing game coordinator in 2019 slash assistant coach slash receivers coach. Now he's defensive coordinator. Now he's going to be calling the plays. The Falcons' defense looks worse. Terrell breaks out of his rookie corner as a rookie corner. These safeties are healthy. Then maybe Atlanta can wield a top 10 pass defense. But the rest of this defense is going to end up struggling. And Atlanta has a very good offense, they have an offensive line. If that offensive line for Atlanta stays fully healthy, because last year you had True Trufant injured, you had injuries on the offensive line, and with those injuries there was instability on the offense as well as the defense. But if that offensive line is fully healthy, Atlanta's offense is going to give it their all. They might even surprise Seattle and win that game in Week 1. Atlanta is one of the best special teams units. They have Young-Hoku, at kicker, Hoff Richter is a punter. Brian Hill is a return specialist. Struggle again due to injury. These injuries are the only thing that can keep Atlanta from making a comeback. That was my worst case scenario in 2019. Atlanta does enough to avoid last place in the NFC South. It's going to be really tough having to play the Saints. And um, Tom Brady joined this division after he came back from a 28-3 deficit in the Super Bowl 51 twice a year now. So at week one is versus Seattle. It's a home game for Atlanta. Honestly, Atlanta might pull the upset in this one because I just think Julio Jones is an unfair advantage over um Seattle does have guys who can cover Julio and can cover Calvin Ridley, but I like Atlanta's offensive line over Seattle's defensive line in the trenches if they're fully healthy. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to change that to see Atlanta because Seattle, while I do think Seattle's a good team, I just feel like Seattle is missing something. And Atlanta's offense, I was originally going to put the Falcons at 3-13, but now I realize that's probably not a smart idea. I'm going to put them at 4-12. I'm going to be more reasonable with Falcons fans. I'm going to be more compassionate with Falcon fans. So I'll give you guys a week one win against Seattle. You go to Dallas in week two. Both teams are 1-0. and And this is a game you have to win. W- win Because I think if you can beat Dallas in Dallas, you could be 3-0 and heading into October. I, I'm going to give Atlanta that upset win over Seattle. And I do think Atlanta's got an offense that can keep up with a lot of teams. I think that game against Green Bay in Week 4, that is going to be a shootout. If Green Bay and Atlanta's offenses are both fully healthy, that's going to be a shootout. It's going to be one of these games where both teams are scoring at will. You could see a field goal or a touchdown on every series in that game. Carolina, they win. So I have this team at 3-2. and two. Yeah, they finish 4-12, and 12, and they're the worst of the teams. But I had this team at 3-13 and 13 in May. And it's like, their offense is good. Like, the home games, they're going to win their first three home games. I think they beat Seattle in Week 1 because I compare Russell Wilson to Matt Ryan. Russell Wilson's a superior quarterback. There's no denying that. Wilson is a ring. Ryan doesn't. But Ryan has a better supporting cast. Well, at least he used to. I'd say Wilson has a better supporting cast now, but for most of his career, Matt Ryan had the better supporting cast. With Julio Jones, you have Gurley taking over for Devonta Freeman. Gurley wanting to make a statement. I think Atlanta has the better offensive line. I think both teams' defenses are going to be outmatched in that Atlanta-Seattle game. I think both offenses are going to have the advantage over the opposing defenses, and it's going to be a high-scoring game. I mean, if Takaris McKinley can get by Dwan Brown, because Seattle's offensive line matches up well with Atlanta's front seven, and if Deion Jones can get 10 tackles and hold his own, then I think Atlanta can win this. Otherwise, Deion Jones cannot get those 10 tackles and hold his own. Chris Carson could explode. I think Chris Carson could have 100 yards. It's really going to come down to that variable, whether Carson can do that or not. But yeah, I have Atlanta winning weeks one, three, and five to begin the year. So they win those first three home games. They're three and two. They lose to Minnesota. They lose to Detroit at home. They lose to Carolina, and they lose to Denver at home. So they lose four in a row after starting three and two. Then they go to the bye. Then they lose the Saints. They beat the Raiders in week twelve. But then they. So this team is 4-7 and seven heading into their final five games, and they lose all of them. They lose the Saints at home, they lose the Chargers, they lose the Buccaneers, they lose the Chiefs, and they lose the Buccaneers again. So looking at Atlanta, they have a brutal second half, having to play the Saints twice in the second half, having to play the Buccaneers twice in the second half. So it's like you get the first nine weeks without a bye week, Then you get your bye in Week 10, and then you have to face the Saints twice and the Buccaneers twice in that back half. I think they got an incredibly brutal schedule, and that's why I have them at 4-12. And And I originally had them at 3-13. And And if Seattle's receivers... Seattle has more playmakers than Atlanta. With um, Will Disley, Greg Olson, with Dorsett, Lockett, all the guys they have, they have more playmakers. So this Seattle-Atlanta game should be a shootout. I mean... I initially had Atlanta at 3-13, but then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll put Atlanta back at 3-13. I know I'm cussing, having a sailor mouth, but it's like, I'm not sure if Atlanta's 4-12 or 3-13. I had them at 3-13 back in the preseason, and the only reason I gave Seattle the win is because Seattle has more weapons for Russell Wilson to throw to. But Atlanta could steal that game. They could steal the Green Bay game. Their their offense as long as their offense is healthy. What's their best case scenario here? Because I have them at three and thirteen. That worst case scenario is three and thirteen. But they beat Seattle, they beat Chicago, they beat Green Bay, they beat Carolina. That's four wins right off the bat. You beat Detroit. That's five wins. Um, you beat the Raiders. That's six wins. I think 6 and 10 is best case scenario. I'll, I'll mention that in the season preview. Because last year Atlanta was like 1-7 or something and then they ended up going 7-9 and, and dominating the back half of the season. This year I think it's the exact opposite. I think they could dominate the front half of the season but their back half, they get a bye week, they get the Saints twice, they get the Buccaneers twice. That's absolutely brutal for Atlanta. They got they got really screwed on that back end of the schedule. So I have Atlanta at 3-13 but it's like... Honestly, it could go either way. I was originally going to put them at 4-12, and 12, but then I was like, okay, Seattle has a lot of weapons, so I'm going to put Atlanta at 3-13, and 13, and I'm probably going to get some controversy for giving Atlanta so little wins. And that's understood. I will break down the NHL games as well as the Clevenger trade in its entirety with the MLB trade deadline after these messages. Welcome back to Draft Utopia here, Chris Ransom, and I'm gonna be breaking down the NHL and then the MLB trade deadline here. So, NHL, we have four series that are 3-1 now. The Islanders lead 3-1, the Lightning lead 3-1, the Stars lead 3-1, and the Vegas Golden Knights lead 3-1. And when you look at it from a narrative standpoint, it makes complete sense to have these four teams in the conference finals. Even though the Flyers have a more talented roster than the Islanders, the Islanders are playing much more disciplined hockey. Also, there's a stronger narrative for the Islanders. Not only are they playing more disciplined and showing more heart in this series, with Barzil and all these defenders stepping up, Islanders, New York didn't really have much to celebrate. New York got hit harder by COVID-19 than Philadelphia. Even though Philadelphia got hit pretty hard too at first, I'd say New York got hit harder. But both of those areas, both Philly and New York, got hit really hard by COVID-19. So if the NHL is going to award the Stanley Cup to a city that was affected by COVID-19, I'm not saying they will or won't. I'm saying if they hypothetically... If that was their plan, then you could call... This series could honestly go either way. Tampa also got hit pretty hard by COVID. I think they'll end their series tonight against Boston and punch the first ticket to the conference finals because if the NHL is hypothetically fixed, you'd want the teams that are playing in Toronto to end their series first. That way... You, those teams can just fly out from Toronto to Edmonton where the Western Conference teams are playing and all the logistics are in place. Whereas Dallas, Colorado, you want that to go to seven. You want Vegas and Vancouver to also go to seven. And it's really interesting to see what's going to happen with that. Because I think Dallas has a chance to win tonight. They beat Colorado they're in the conference finals. Vegas could be in the conference finals on Tuesday. And Philly if those teams win. So, I think Tampa's going to win. Honestly, I could see Philly coming back, winning three in a row. They did get James James Van Riemsdick back. That was their big injury. I think they could come back and win three in a row. Da- Colorado's another team that I could see winning three in a row against Dallas. Now, honestly, Colorado... And Dallas Grubauer and Ben Bishop were supposed to be the starting goalies neither team really has their starting goalie Vegas has two really good goalies as does Vancouver with Markstrom and Thatcher Demko but Vancouver doesn't want to play Demko they want to stick with the hot hand they want to stick with Markstrom but I feel like they've used Markstrom so much that he's fatigued and I wouldn't fault them for starting Thatcher Demko in this situation Because it's like, you're not expected to win this series and you have nothing to lose by playing him. That's pretty much the thought process for playing Thatcher Demko. And I think Vegas will probably win because Vancouver and Vegas were the finalists that lost the hub cities to Toronto and Edmonton. And NHL wanted to have Vegas as one of the hub cities. But with the coronavirus rate spiking... In Vegas, they had to make sure all the players were in Canada and safe. So, you could argue that the NHL feels indebted to Vegas as of this. And they want Vegas to become a hot spot. So, And Vegas seems to have a huge fan base. This team has never really drafted well in the NHL draft, but they had a hell of an expansion draft. The coaching, even after they made the move from Gerald Gallant to Peter DeBoer, the coaching still at a high level. There's no drop-off in terms of discipline, production, wins. There's no drop-off in terms of winning consistently. they won all their games in the round robin. And really, I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen because you've got th- four series that are 3-1 and I honestly feel like one of the teams is going to come back and win three in a row. Philly's got the talent to do this. I think Vancouver has the talent to do this too, but I, I, betting on them to do it is like playing with fire. It's dangerous. It's not smart. And I do love Vancouver's front 12. their are four lines, but they just haven't executed. Vegas has just been more disciplined, even though their offense has done a valiant job. And I think, I think Tampa's going to punch the first ticket to the Eastern Conference Finals tonight. Because if they beat Boston without Halak, they can fly over to Edmonton and get ready for the conference finals. They won't know who their opponent is yet, but they can go to Edmonton. And I think the NHL wants all the conference finals teams in the same hub city. Yeah, because they're going to have the Eastern and Western conference finals at Rogers Place in Edmonton. So if Tampa Bay wins, they punch that first ticket tonight and... Then the other three series can go six, seven games, and we get the best overall quality of NHL matchups. I'm going to quickly check in on the NBA, and then I'm going to go back to... um... Then I'll go through these MLB trades. And then after that, I promise I will be done And you look at this series here. So, Houston, Oklahoma City is going to be at 9. Heat Bucks does start tonight at 6.30 on TNT. That might actually be watchable. I might actually watch that while I work on my Dallas preview because I'm only going to watch the beginning. I'm not going to watch all of it. With NHL on, I'm obviously going to watch hockey, but it's like I might watch that. Game 7 of um, Boston leads the Raptors. Ooh, that's interesting, because I didn't think Boston had that in them to beat the Raptors. I thought the Raptors are just a more talented team on paper. So, and the Jazz and the Nuggets are going to be on ABC. 8.30 p.m. Eastern, it's going to be Game 7, so that's going to be on ABC. And I'm... I'm going to see if Brian Bayless, our NBA writer, wants to cover that Game 7. Because we've had some games on ABC, and I've just been swamped with stuff. But I'm going to see if Brian wants to cover that. Because I've been updating NHL content from Lisa Donovan, our NHL staff writer. We have an NBA staff writer, Brian Bayless. So I've been updating content from our staff. But yeah. Houston Oklahoma City game 6 is tonight. But yeah, you look at this series, Eastern Conference semifinals have already started. Matt and the quality of competition the Eastern Conference, you have the Heat and the Bucks are the two teams that I said are going to be the teams to watch. Celtics were able to steal a game from Toronto in Eastern Conference semi. So the Lakers and Clippers are in and the other teams are still battling for position while the Lakers and Clippers continue to get the ability to rest their guys. It's like the Lakers winning on Saturday means that they get to rest their guys. And some of these NBA players got to rest for a day or two during the protests last week. So, I mean, that's good for the NBA, I guess. But yeah, the Marlins got Starling Marte from the Diamondbacks. Robbie Ray goes from the Diamondbacks to the Blue Jays. That's a great trade for Toronto. Athletics get Mike Minor from the Texas Rangers. Yeah, and you look at the Jaguars' 2017 Conference Championship starters. DD Westbrook, Cam Robinson, Linder, AJ Can are the only four remaining starters on offense. Abrey, Jones, and Miles Jack are the only remaining starters on defense. So... But the Clevenger trade stood out to me. I'm an Indians fan, and I love this trade. Josh Naylor's the um, older brother of um, Bo Naylor, who we drafted in the first round. And you also got Cal Quantrill, of a Stanford relief pitcher. I loved Quantrill as a reliever at Stanford. He was not a starting pitcher in the MLB, but you moved him to a reliever, and his ERA went down. You got Gabriel Arias, a number seven prospect, in the Padres' farm sister, Cantillo. You got Austin Hedges, the starting catcher for the Padres, and you got shortstop Owen Miller. So you got two top 11 prospects, including two top 11 shortstops in their farm system. And the Indians drafted two shortstops in this draft, and they've got two more shortstops from this trade with the Padres in their farm system. So now they have four different shortstops. That, And honestly... I think the Cleveland Indians could move all of these shortstops. If they had one more shortstop, I think they could move all of these guys for Lindor. So a team could pay Lindor big money, then they could move all these guys for Lindor back. But they're not going to. The fact that they, they traded for two different shortstops and they drafted two different shortstops tells me a lot. It tells me everything I need to know about Cleveland. He has been consistent as far as what he's done. But with the off-the-field distractions, I understand why they moved him. Him abandoning the club to go like to a bar, I understand why. The White Sox stood out since they play in the same division, but the report highlighted Cleveland's needs for more offense in the outfield. So, yeah, I mean, that's a big trade. And the Orioles and Blue Jays are in the top of the ninth. And Shane Bieber's pitching tonight. So the white, and the White Sox begin a series with the Twins. The Twins are now one and a half back at 2015. They've lost five in a row. The White Sox and Indians are tied for first place with the White Sox owning the tiebreaker. So I think Bieber beats the Royals tonight. And I think if he does and the White Sox lose the Twins, Cleveland is back in control of first place in this division. And that is what I want to see. Them, the Rays, The Athletics. Padres could make the playoffs with Clevenger. I think they could. If they get Mackenzie Gore up. But they're not a team that I I look at and say, Wow, this team has that it factor. The Padres could probably win against the Marlins. But then you get the Dodgers in the next round, and you probably lose that series. Now that the Dodgers are fully healthy, you know they're hungry, you know they want to try to finally get to a World Series and win one, because they got to two and they lost both of them. They finally want to win one for this fan base. So that will do it for today's edition of Draft Utopia. Unless we got some exciting MLS news. Nope tomorrow Toronto plays Montreal I could try to see what else we can get find out in terms of soccer news but again we have a draft utopia e-commerce store that I'm currently working on so check that out go to teespring.com stores slash draft utopia shop and here's a hyphen after draft utopia shop After Draft, after Utopia, and Shop. I'm going to post a selfie of it on Facebook. And thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Chris Ransom. Enjoy your Monday afternoon.